here's Johnny. I'll be back. And you will know my name is the Lord. I'm walking here. I'm walking here. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Also, this is a side note real quick. So I walked into the garage earlier where I am currently now, and um, my punching bag was just swaying back and forth lightly. By its, so a ghost is working out. He's going to get swole. Exactly. Well, that's, oh, it's doing it now. On the plus side, that means your ghost is too weak at the moment to murder you, so he's got to work his way up to it. So you have a little bit of time. Exactly. And now that I'm, you know, about a week ahead of it in, in regards to using the bag, that now I, like, it's always going to be a week behind me. Right. Well, he can practice while you sleep is the problem. It also depends, though, like, what, how ghosts work in regards to time. Also, how do ghosts get protein? Is he eating ghostly chicken and broccoli? It, wouldn't ectoplasm be, like, pure protein? Um, I want to say no. Probably like pure fat, like melted gelatinous fat. There's no way ectoplasm is nothing but fat. I don't think it's pure protein. Maybe not pure protein. If semen, (laughs) (laughs) can we get an expert on the show to explain ghosts to us? (laughs) God damn it, we're gonna have like three beginnings now, (laughs) and they're all fascinating, great show intros. Just not to this show. Darkness. All important podcasts start with darkness, because we are not a visual medium. Also, this is a Lego Batman episode, so we have to start with darkness. It's pretty much contractually obligated. Anyways, hello ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Box Office Pulp, your one-stop podcast for movies, madness, and moxie. I typed that as moxies in my script. All the moxies. All moxies, and I wanted to point that out because to me that's hilarious. We're each individually moxies. By our moxies combined, I'm your host, Cody. And joining me today are MB and Mike. Audience, I have no idea how you're feeling about this, but I'm pretty jazzed. MB, if you've never listened to any of our Pulp Podcast Network shows before, has probably spoken more words on Batman than anyone in existence short of, like, Kevin Conroy. And yet he consistently finds new and interesting ways to discuss the character. And on the flip side, we've got Mike, who is pretty much our resident Joker expert, and there's a lot of them these days. I would still take him over pretty much anyone with damage on their forehead, so... We're in great shape. Fucking posers. Posers. I was into him before he admitted he was damaged. <laughs> or he got real with it and got muscly. <laughs> so, uh, let's get down to brass tacks here. Lego Batman movie. The best Lego movie ever? Or the best Batman movie ever? Also, I just want to say, you didn't give yourself props for being the resident Lego expert. I play with Legos. I don't know if that makes me an expert. Of all of us combined, I think we can at least say that among us, you're the Lego expert of the box office pulp crew. I clearly have the most Legos. Did you or did you not bring Legos to this recording? 
Uh, that's because I was excited, but yes. <laughs> my point stands, but continue. So at my desk currently, I, I, I have the Batman Speedwagon set, which is Batman and Robin in essentially the Lego Batman movies, Batmobile, and Joker's Lowrider, which is Harley Quinn and the Joker in a rubber band suspended pimpmobile. As he should have. It shoots green thingies out of the trunk. Green thingies. I don't know what to call them. They're kind of like blaster bits. So blaster bits. Yeah, I mean, if you want to call them that, there's probably a technical name. See, that's why I'm not the Lego expert. I just play with them. I'm pretty sure Lego doesn't know the name of it. I did find out a Lego fun fact today as I was preparing for this podcast. According, and this is all the Lego work I did, I went to the Lego Wikipedia page. Uh, Lego is derived from the Spanish, or Spanish, Danish phrase, legat, which means play well. So the play well Batman movie. Yes, because he eventually learns to play well with others. No, no, don't try to tie it all up so that is a I just did. Makes sense in the context. We just finished the episode. I just got so bad sisters. Good night, everybody. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> there you go. A That's a terrible episode already. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. <laughs> Wonderful. That was a good episode. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining. Anyways. I'm very curious to know what you guys thought of the Lego Batman movie, just because you are very much huge Batman fans. And I'm curious if that translates into when he's made into a tiny plastic man. I think it does. Well, it's it's an interesting question, I think, because, you know, you, you asked the question of whether or not Batman translates over to, you know, the realm of the Lego medium, which is now a medium by itself. It's a subgenre of film, which was established... By one other film before it, but still. Ninjago, whatever the hell it's called. Yep, Lego yeah. Ninjago, which I don't collect any of those sets, but the movie from the trailers looks delightful. Yeah, Bionicle never took off. Yeah, maybe if they, the timing was better, like if Bionicle happened closer to this, they'd have a Bionicle movie. I think they might have had a TV show. They had uh, TV movies and shit. Yeah. They, weren't, they were okay. I mean, <laughs> Lego does a ton. Of, you're not getting your point, MB, not ever. I don't know why you're on the show, but Lego... <laughs> Lego does a, a ton of, like, straight-to-DVD movies for, like, superhero stuff and for everything else. Uh, oh, yeah, this part is... the TV medium for a while. This is technically, like, their 11th Lego Batman movie, if you want to count all the technical ones that have been made. Like, there was Lego Batman Beleaguered, Lego Batman DC Superheroes, which was just an adaptation of the game. There were several Lego Justice League movies. Mm-hmm. Like, Lego in itself is its own entity, and to add Batman into that, you would you would think that something this heavily marketed towards the, like, writing off of the success of the Lego movie, it would really capitalize on the Lego portion of that and really not dwell that too much on the Batman aspect. You would think it would be a gimmick movie, essentially, but this movie, and I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say this because I've been going over it in my head for the last week and a half since I saw it, this movie may be the most pure expression of what encapsulates Batman as a pure figure of pop culture than any movie, live-action, animated, what have you, than has come to pass. It's not. I'm not ranking it as the best Batman movie ever made, because a lot of people have already jumped to that conclusion. I rank it as fourth, because I put Mask of the Phantasm at the very top, Whoa. as always. Batman 89, I just have a personal affinity towards, and Two. Batman Begins, to me, is the most pure 70s, like, O'Neill Batman 
Three. has ever been captured on film. So Lego Batman reaches a fourth, but the what it actually does with the Batman character and with the Batman mythology, I think, is so insanely clever and unique for a film that could have easily been written off as just a tax exemption on Warner Brothers' part. <laughs> I mean, this was just printing money, and they could have put literally anything on the screen. But what this was was... This it's was true. A, I bought about half the toys before the movie came out. This was a love letter to the Batman franchise. This was a love letter to just the fun of the character. It wasn't necessarily a love letter to the comics or anything like that, but it didn't really need to be. It was just Batman as he exists as a popular thing. This is just a celebration of that, and that's I love that. I love that aspect of the movie so much because... There were a lot of places that they could have taken a lot of easy jokes with. I mean, obviously the movie is heavily joke-laden, but they didn't go for, like, the obvious Robin jokes. They didn't go for the obvious, like, oh, this this villain is lame and this is the reason why he's lame type of jokes. Like, they don't really go for what's easy in this movie. They kind of go what's, for lack of a better term, what a lot of fans really don't want to admit about Batman, which is the fact that he's not been a loner since 1939. And you really got to let go of that because he's not a loner. He's he's not. He's he's had Robin since the 40s. Like, he's had many members of the Batman family since the 40s. Well, that's an aspect of the character I don't think they touch on often enough in the film versions. Batman has not been a loner, but I feel like in the comics he always thinks of himself as one anyways. Like, it's just a, a failure of him to reflect on what he is as a person, which is something you can explore in the comics much better. But in a movie... You somehow get across the idea that Batman's not a loner, but he thinks he is in two hours, which doesn't work out very well. And most movies seem like they're afraid to even have Robin in them anyways. So, yeah, it's it's a really a great mark that the movie can get that across, especially in a way that can connect with 10-year-olds who are watching it. <laughs> the whole movie has to boil its themes down so they're palatable for children. And it's great because it approaches them with a very focused idea, and instead of trying to get too nebulous or too in deep or anything, it just picks something that anyone can understand and execute on it very well. So I love the functionality in the themes of the movie. Yeah, and it's also a movie that just, it has an easy way to market itself to kids, which is that instead of having it be a dark, brooding movie, have it be a movie that makes fun of the dark, brooding movie. Like, have it be the thing that everyone associates with Batman in how he's presented today, in every medium that he's presented in, like, the Arkham games, the movies, the comic books, every single thing that you associate with a big Batman franchise, you can turn it on its head and immediately it's kid-friendly. Like, it's genius in its simplicity because that's how malleable Batman is as a character, is that he can just be taken in so many different ways mm -hmm. that you look at this character and say, okay, we're going to do all this in Lego Bricks and we're going to make fun of everything that everybody loves about the character while also shining a light on what people probably shouldn't love about the character as much. Or at least <laughs> love to the point where they place that over elements that have gotten lost in the shaft, like with the comic books, uh, especially the movies. Something that it kind of blew me away when I watched it, because at first, like when the Lego Batman movie was first announced, I was kind of, I, not, not that I wasn't excited, but I was a little confused just because I don't, I didn't, wasn't sure if that would work as a spinoff, because he was just such a joke in the Lego movie. Right. Like, uh, can you really carry that through? The last thing I really expected was for the Lego Batman movie to actually say something 
about the character of Batman and kind of the zeitgeist around the character of Batman as it stands in society now in popular culture. Like, it's kind of a deconstruction of Batman and, and of how at least the people perceive Batman in a way. And kind of a, hey, aren't you kind of tired of the brooding loner bat god thing that's been driven to the ground so hard? Like, remember when Batman could also be fun at the same time? No. Like, remember fun? No. It's a distant memory. But that actually is a really great part of the movie. It's one for the kids, like MB said, they have a way to make the character fun for them. But for adults, like for me, I love going in because it's essentially a metatextual analysis of not only Batman movies, but you can maybe say DC movies in general right now. Oh, yeah. But the trend of movie making in general where you have to have this dark, tortured hero who does who is allowed no fun. Oh, yeah, and it's it's being released at the perfect time when the DC movies themselves, the live-action ones, are in such a flux and such a downward spiral, just commercial, not commercially in terms They're of... They're doing okay money-wise, yeah. But in terms of the critics, in terms of everyone who wants something better out of these movies, they're not getting what they want. This movie is hitting them at the most crucial element that they need to be hit, in a way, where you have this movie and you can kind of throw it up on a billboard and say, look, this is what is wrong. We are hand-delivering it to you through you. Like, it's, it's kind of amazing that Warner Brothers allowed half of the stuff that gets said in this movie because... They go out of their way to make fun of Suicide Squad. They go out of their way to make fun of Batman v Superman. And they also just go out of their way to make fun of the idea that Batman himself is what makes a Batman story work. Because it's not just one part that keeps everything moving. It's all the parts that keep the one thing moving. Yeah. So were you guys, I don't know if you felt the same way I did, but when Barbara Gordon appears and basically has a PowerPoint about how much Batman sucks, were you amazed by, like, that in theaters? I was sitting there, and all of a sudden, is well, she actually has a lot of valid points, and pretty much everything I've cheered for in the last 20 years of my life has been very wrong. They had a character literally go up and say, like, hey, everything about Batman's wrong, and we're approaching him the wrong way, in theaters, to the crowd, and you're supposed to take her side. <laughs> Which is very strange, because Batman is still the hero of your movie, so you kind of feel sympathy for him, but in the back of your head, you're like, no, she's got a lot of good points. It works as such a beautiful deconstruction, randomly, out of nowhere, in the middle of the movie. And what's beautiful about that, too, is that it's one of the best versions of Barbara Gordon I've ever seen in any medium. And it's a tiny little minifigure, voiced by Rosaria Dawson, who does amazing in the movie. When they kind of pushed the Bruce Wayne and Babs love interest angle, I was very uncomfortable. But considering these characters in this version, at least, don't know each other at all, and there's not that, you know, father-daughter mentor kind of relationship, it doesn't feel as skeevy. And one thing that I, I will say to that, which is I pretty much am in the same boat, but also you have to consider the movie's logic that Batman's also, age-wise, about 100. He's immortal. He is very much set. Like, they pin down actual years that he's been active, and that's hilarious. That's amazing that they can say, okay, everything is canon, but also you really need to slow down and just kind of not do that anymore because you've been doing this since the 30s, man. You've been on a sad bender for the longest time. <laughs> <laughs> he goes through phases, that's all. Another another thing, I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but did you feel no. that... Fuck you, Cody. Did you okay. feel that at the end where you know, all of Batman's villains team up with him and all this stuff to defeat you know, popular cultures, various famous villains like Dracula and King Kong, 
was almost a statement that the Batman mythos is a well-oiled machine. That when all the parts work together, it's pretty much better than anything. That's that's kind of what I got out of it, too. Especially just, I felt like it was very intentionally done to where they kept upping the stakes and upping the stakes and even upping them once they've been three times upped. The stakes by the end are astronomical to where Gotham City is literally like boiling lava. Is there a term for three timed up, like thraced up, thrupt, thrupt, thrupt? I like it. Thrupt. Box office pulp does not coin many phrases. I want to make thrupt one of the phrases we do coin. Hashtag thrupt. Tag something cool with it. Please. Please. Love us. But there was a a point in the movie where I kind of got what Mike was saying and really got it home to where one of my favorite movies of all time is Jaws. Who shows up in the movie? The shark from Jaws. The shark from Jaws comes out, attacks Batman. Robin pulls out the bat repellent and uses it to effect, finally, for the first time. And all of a sudden, it was was like this... It it worked. It worked there, but in this, it was like the streams had officially crossed. There was a point of no return. <laughs> this was Batman invading pop culture in a way I don't think he's ever done in, a, like, a big media thing before, outside of, ironically enough, Lego Dimensions. I took it in a little bit different direction. I wasn't necessarily thinking of Batman versus the rest of pop culture or how he stands in comparison to it, but there's there's such a history to Batman. And this movie had to approach by saying, yeah, we've been doing Batman since 1939. Like, there is a lot of Batman. And at this point in time, it's impossible to do a Batman without referencing some version of its past. Like, it's just built upon itself in so many layers that if you're doing a Batman movie, it's very difficult to try and bring in something brand new because people want to see something from that history. They want to see either characters they love, like bring the Joker back, or they want to see an interpretation from the comics, like, hey, bring Bane in. Do Bane. You haven't done a good Bane from the comics. And the Lego movie kind of skirts that by one, including literally all the B-movie villains who will never get into a movie. And by saying, hey, here's some people that are completely unrelated to Batman. Let's see what we can do by tossing something completely different into a Batman movie. So you end up with the Eye of Sauron all of a sudden as a new <laughs> thing he has to fight. And literally evil magic when Voldemort starts flying around turning people into fish. And the Kraken from... And the Kraken. <laughs> like so genius. Clash of the Titans, which led to the greatest third act scene I think I've ever seen in a children's movie where they set up those two characters to interact in a way I, I can't even, I, I just, that was one of the biggest laughs my audience got with it. And the laughs just kept coming. That's, that's the thing is like, yeah, this is a comedy and it works in a lot of ways, but one of the biggest trepidations about it was would it, would it work as well as the Lego movie did? Because the Lego movie had a lot of heart. It had a lot of humor to go along with that heart, but you couldn't really replicate that a second time. It was it was kind of seen as like, okay, that's a just, they caught lightning in a bottle. And like Mike was saying earlier on, it was like, that was kind of my thought when they first announced that they were going to do a Lego Batman movie. It's like, that seems silly because you're trying to redo a movie that is quite literally the most out-of-left-field success you could ever imagine. This movie manages to up the humor and really really lay into the humor of, okay, you know everything. Like, it treats the audience like it knows everything about Batman leading up to this, and then just hammers it home. Like, the, the references to 
the Joker's past schemes in the other movies with the like the two boats. <laughs> the two boats. And I will we say Batman had nothing to do with defeating that plot. <laughs> it was the goodness of the people. Uh, <laughs> that pilot had it wrong. Uh, he he had just experienced a horrible loss, so Oh, his best friend was dead. Not dead. They put him in a parachute. He was dead. I mean he didn't know they put him in a parachute at the time. He so had a heart be. attack before he hit the ground. No, he floated down, but he floated so slowly that days went by and the lava went over and corrosed the streets, so he landed in the lava. To be fair, the lava does run over a cat, and the cat says, I'm fine. Okay, can I can I just bring that up as, like... <laughs> the important stuff. What about the kittens? <laughs> this movie had the balls to kill off a cat and then make the cat undead, is what I'm taking out of that. Like, that, that cat was burned to a crisp. This is going to get me some flack. But movies that have the balls to kill kittens normally make me laugh a lot. No, no, they can only kill children. I'm fine with children or cats. Brothers Grimm has a lot of goodwill in my heart because they throw a cat into a giant medieval blender. And I know I'm going to get a lot of complaints. No, I won't. No one's going to complain about this. But if someone listened to this, they might. At Box Office Pulp, complain to Cody. This is our new marketing strategy. I'm just going to mention random things getting hurt until someone's like, this guy's an asshole. I need to let him know. And it'll be Frank Grillo. (laughs) (laughs) He's going to invite me to star in the Raid remake, where he's going to accidentally kill me on set. Accidentally. But you get to be in a movie, so that's great. Yeah, I'll take that. That's a good way to go. So, we're only two movies into the LEGO shared universe, but it does kind of surprise me, because we've already set up a couple of pretty strong themes, like bad dads. And judging from the trailer from the LEGO Ninjago movie, that's going to also carry through. So basically, each movie is centered on a father figure repairing a relationship with his son. In the Lego movie, we've got Will Ferrell. Lego Batman, we have Bruce Wayne and Robin. I don't really know anything about Lego Ninjago, but the entire trailer is focused on Lloyd and his apparently evil ninja father. So it's just an interesting way where they made a shared universe where it's how do we explore the same concept in three radically different settings? And not only that, but centralize it around specifically the theme of family. In both Lego movie and Lego Batman movie, the crux of it comes down to, hey, you can't do this alone. You need to work as a team and help with other people. You can still be creative within that group, but you are part of a larger fabric of things. Which is such an interesting theme for the Lego franchise to land on, because it is very purely Lego. Yes, I spend most of my time building Legos alone. Well, that's that's us. We're that's, all your un- that's your undoing, though. If you, want- if you just had someone to build Legos with, you would be complete. No, because then they would start building my Legos, and I buy them for my own peace of mind. It's like having a Zen garden I can break apart whenever I want. They have their own Legos. You would just cross over. Oh, so we're in the same room building separate Lego sets not talking? You can talk. That would take away from the building. You really are the man upstairs. I don't, I don't even know what to say. That is <laughs> That may be the saddest thing I've ever heard. My Fortress of Solitude is all Lego. <laughs> Speaking of which, I goddamn love the Fortress of Solitude having Superman's theme as the doorbell. What the, what the fuck did Batman call the Fortress of Solitude? It was Man Cave got... of Brooding or something? <laughs> it was weird we got so many Superman references in a movie that really features about two minutes of Superman. Delightful Superman, that's all that's important. As voiced by Channing Tatum, which is this, the weirdest thing in the world to me. Right. Occasionally putting on a vague accent... Just every couple of lines, he has an accent, and then it goes away. It's really weird. <laughs> it's all that gambit prep that got to him. And then Jonah Hill just shows up for five seconds as Green Lantern. It's wonderful. I wouldn't have it any other way. And Samurai was there. And the Martian Manhunter. I will correct you. The Martian Dance Hunter. You're right. 
Fuck you, John. <laughs> He's got sick moves. He needs to let us know. Aquaman was there and didn't say a thing. It's true. He was just around. But it was old school Aquaman. They probably want to phase him out for new school Aquaman pretty soon. Blood. Blood and vodka. <laughs> One thing we haven't got to yet that I really do want to touch on, though, and that was very surprising to me, was I think they might have had the best relationship between Batman and the Joker presented in film so far. That fucking fascinated me, because the thing I, I, like, I kind of figured, like, ah, Bat Joker's probably, like, a large part of the plot, but, you know, just in a weird side way. I didn't expect a legitimate Batman-Joker plot to go on in the middle of the movie as, like, a through line. Mm-hmm. And be the second movie where Batman and the Joker quote Jerry Maguire to each other. <laughs> I'm pretty sure this one only did that to mock Dark Knight. Maybe not mock, just be very meta about it. I can combine them for one full scene. You could, but uh, they're basically like, it, it was the closest we'll get to now kiss between these two characters. <laughs> they were just about to, that was romantic as hell at the end. I hate you. Like, it was, it was that close. Just doing scenes from Gilda. What's, what's also fascinating about it is just, like, it's not just, it's a story about them, it's a story about, like, how they exist as hero and villain, how they have a really kind of unhealthy relationship. It's also genuinely upsetting sometimes when Batman goes against Joker. Like, I can't believe this movie actually made it to where I felt really sorry for the Joker and wished things would, you know, be patched up between them. Two things. One, it probably really helps when he's not physically abusing Harley in every scene. And Oh, it's so nice just to have a normal Joker <laughs> Harley. So nice. That was weird. You can do that? What? Crazy. <laughs> that few month gap just what it felt like three years, I bet. And also, too, it was it was fascinating to me that we had the resolution conflict between Joker and Batman not involving a single punch. Yes. Like, they have to literally hold hands so they can bring the city back together. It was the end fight between Joker and Batman. <laughs> and in the end, they still go back to their ways. It's not like Joker's been cured or anything or he's going to stop doing crime. It was basically, hey, I've been acknowledged that I fucking hate you and you hate me. That's all I wanted. Now I'm going to go rob a bank. Once again, I like the statement that it's making the Batman mythos is a machine that needs to be brought and stay together and stay pure. Like, when it all works in the way it's supposed to, beautiful things like that take place. Like, every part needs to accept itself and come together. And what's funny is, like, in taking it in that direction, the villain of the movie really is the Joker. The villain of the movie is Batman. Oh, yeah. Like... Batman is the cog in the machine that's not getting anything done because he's doing everything wrong. Like, one of my favorite scenes is actually the scene of him in the Phantom Zone because you get you get freaking Kimmy Schmidt, of all people, <laughs> to point out how Batman is not a good person to his face and then shows him a screen of scene selections of him not being a good person including wanting to kill a child. And I was wondering if they were going to bring that back up. <laughs> and what's, what's great about that is that you actually see him react. You see him legitimately react in a way to where, oh, God, what have I been doing? They didn't just brush it off as like another side gag where it was like, no, no, I'm just going to go back to my behavior. It's, it's, it's him actually looking at everything he's been doing and making it a statement to where it's like, Okay, so I, I, I've done a lot of messed up stuff. Uh, I, I, I can I still fix this. I can still fix all of this. But I'm, I'm willing to accept my punishment, too. 
which was another weird like wrinkle to throw into a child's movie. It's like Batman's willing to sacrifice himself at the end, which is very nice. Like that's a that's a very Batman move. Batman should be the guy willing to step on the bomb. Yeah. If that's the situation, Batman should sacrifice himself for everyone else. That's the Batman character. But a lot of times we kind of get like selfish, brooding asshole who really is just in this for kicks and kills people. And occasionally murders people. Uh, pilots bombs off into the middle of the ocean and then fakes his death. <laughs> you know, as you do. There were so many parts of this movie that hit surprisingly well. Other movies might have attempted these with Batman, but for some reason this movie is able to make those steps click. Like, I, I think it's when he's talking to Barbara. I might be mixing up my characters. But he mentions that he's trying to protect his family. And she mentions, like, are you really trying to protect them or are you trying to protect yourself? And it's, like, sure, kind of a hackneyed phrase, but it lands perfectly in this movie. You understand how much it applies to the character. It's like, that's a lesson you could actually take home with you. It just lands so well that yeah. Batman's alienating himself just because uh, to be vulnerable is not good. Well, one thing that I think is another brilliant conceit of this movie is that they take full advantage of the fact that people are really going to unrest or make this movie as not a real part of the Batman canon. Like, they're going to look at this and say, it's its own thing. It doesn't really matter. So they can completely toe the line with how much they how many lines they can actually cross with the character and how many lines they can cross with all these set perceptions with the villains with the sidekicks with uh, alfred even like alfred flat out suits up in the third act of this <laughs> and just says it's well, i miss the 60s <laughs> like he's a he's he's with them and fighting crime and then puts on a kato suit and robin's basically like an invention of the movie like, yeah, he's called Dick Grayson, but he doesn't really act that much like Dick Grayson. But it's fine. I mean, it totally works for the movie. I like the liberties they took. Well, he doesn't act like Dick Grayson in the same way Batman doesn't really act like Batman. Joker. That's true. This is not like Batman. <laughs> like, it's it's funny. Like, this movie manages to craft its own little niche version of the universe, but it's still as valid as anything, which just proves the testament time and time again. Batman can be reinvented multiple times, hundreds of times, hundreds of thousands of times, and still be as true to the tense of what made the character what he was, as readily now as it was 75 years ago. It really reminds me of Neil Gaiman's Whatever Happened to the Cape Crusader, where you can go through a thousand iterations of the character, and they all might dress differently, speak differently, act a little differently, but there's going to be certain tenets of that character that would always carry through, certain things Batman will always represent or stand for, even if this generation's Batman doesn't have the same aesthetics, which is what I really liked. Like the idea of Batman, in the end, saying he would just sacrifice himself and go back to the Phantom Zone because it's a noble sacrifice that protects his city. That's, like, key Batman right there. All iterations of Batman should make that kind of choice, and that's what would tie all of them together. And it's refreshing to see that type of choice when we've seen versions of Batman who have gone completely against the grain to the detriment of their own franchises, because we've had it happen twice in a row at this point, and fans have not been happy about it. We've voiced our frustration with both of those versions. This is not a thing to where you can just point at it and say, oh yeah, that's just as valid as that, because this has a clear problem. This movie addresses those problems and manages to still not feel condescending. Like, if you love The Dark Knight Rises, if you love Batman v Superman, you won't come out of this movie feeling insulted. You'll feel as if it was just included as a part of the canon just as readily as Batman Forever was. The serials get, like, a one-shot. They do even get a shot, yeah. Nothing's, like, I love the movie because nothing's snarky about anything. 
they, they get that way a little bit about the 60s movie, but they also show it so much love at the end where you feel like that was just kind of playing it up as a joke in the first place. Right. Like, the audience perception of the 60s movie is not great, but really, if they sat down and watched it, they would have a lot of fun with it. Well, they also need to pay attention to something like the score, which ad nauseum remixes the 60s theme in a hundred different ways. Like, even the song, uh, Who's the Batman, from the beginning, and... The theme of that is the 60s theme, done as a rock song. I get the last laugh, I get the final grin. Throw you into the asylum with Harley Quinn. Turn two-face to black and blue face. I 100% am not Bruce Wayne. And really the opening is very similar to like the Joker's theme from The Dark Knight. They oh, pay yeah. a lot of callbacks to various Batman movies musically. Well, not just musically, obviously everything. They've got Billy D. Williams, I mean, as, as Two-Face. If there's anything I could say about this movie that is a clear problem is that they didn't have enough of people like that, like Billy D. Williams. I wanted so much more of Doug Benson as Bane because that was the best part of the movie. For, <laughs> he needs a spinoff. For me and the audience, like every time he showed up, the audience laughed hysterically. It was honestly the best <laughs> version of Bane ever. Yeah, it was. Like, Bane is feeling warm and fuzzy. Isn't the weird ultimate version of Bane where he's giant, like Arkham Bane, he looks like normal Bane, and then he's wearing the coat and has the voice. <laughs> And it's also just, like, legitimately just kind of a blip. Like, I love that scene where Batman punches him, and he's just, that was completely unnecessary. <laughs> <laughs> he's just in it for the ride, and, and he doesn't know why he keeps getting assaulted by this man in a mask. <laughs> but, like, the one thing that I will say, like, I was legitimately disappointed that they couldn't find more for Billy Williams to do, because... We've been waiting for so long for that to happen. Yeah, yeah. I thought he would be a fun callback. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, all the bat villains were kind of minimized. Most of them only have a handful of lines. Yeah. Mr. Freeze is, you know, he only gets a thing or two to say. Clayface gets a, a moment or two. Clayface Killer. needed more. Killer? Clayface needed more, especially yeah. the Poison design Ivy. they were doing with that. It was amazing. Poison Ivy barely had anything. It's, it's okay. Yeah. I understand how that's how it fits in the movie. I oh, just yeah. would have loved to see these characters do more. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, like... You have Zoe Kravitz playing Catwoman in a movie, and she gets only, like, two lines, so you want to hear oh. more of that just based off the fact that it's no, Zoe Kravitz doing Catwoman. Saying Catwoman meow was, like, every line. one thing, yeah, at this point, because it was basically just saying meow, right yeah. meow. Not really the most clever joke, but, you know. No, yeah. Well, they I had, like, what, Conan was Riddler, right? Yeah, yes. Conan O'Brien was I don't. I don't even remember a line Riddler said. Oh, uh, uh, he, he said, riddle me this, what just happened. Whenever yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, there was a lot of weird stunt casting in there. Jason Mandazuka's was the worst one because all he said as he was Scarecrow and all he said was pizza delivery. Yeah, I like, feel why, like that should have been a name for that. I didn't, I didn't understand. Like a, a couple of villains in this are voiced by producers, and I felt like if you had done that more often, that would be more acceptable. But you, you have people like Adam Devine playing the Flash for one scene. They did a lot of that stuff in the Lego Movie as well. I think oh, they yeah. just had a ton of they, cameos, and maybe it'll pay off in future movies. They did, but they also used a lot of those, so it didn't feel like... It was weird in, in Lego Batman just because there was just the main cast, and then the rest were pretty much just stunt cast there for one line. There wasn't really, like... With the Lego movie, there was a lot of that, but there were tons of ancillary characters who had big voices that had parts in the movie and had lots of stuff to do. I mean, even though he only appeared in one scene, like, I remember a lot about the Star Wars scene in the Lego movie because of 
how much C-3PO got to say in, like, the, the punchline with, with Lando. And with this, I just kind of felt like a lot of that was mulled over. But at the same time, while I do find it to be a genuine criticism, I also just love the fact that it is so centralized on the Bat family and, you know, the Joker specifically this version of the Joker, because it was just Joker as done by, like, Mark Hamill, or if it were just a Joker pastiche of, like, the other versions, then it would have just been retreading old ground. I, I felt like this one legitimately had something to say, so it was fine that he was the villain again, mm-hmm. and he brought in all these other characters from all these other franchises, so it made it really fun. And I guess, at the end of the day, it's just... I what I want out of this is just another movie. So those characters can come back and Bane can be the main villain. <laughs> One thing I will say about odd voice casting choices, they have Rafines in the movie. They have <laughs> so you, Voldemort you in the movie. Well. <laughs> and they're like, we can't have him voice two people. Is Voldemort's too close to his Alfred? <laughs> Let's get well, Eddie Izzard in. Plus well, how terrifying would that be? The actual funny? Voldemort voicing toy Voldemort. I'd, I'd be down for it. Flying, just flying around, being vaguely asleep. You're a fish. You're also fish. You're a fish frog. What's funny is that I didn't have that question about it, but what I wondered was, are they going to have Voldemort and Alfred interact? And they didn't. And I felt like, oh, come on. That's the only reason you could have done that. And Izzard also doesn't even try to sound anything like Voldemort. Nah. He just kind of does a random voice for it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a Lego movie, so I can understand why they take it in a very different direction than the movie interpretation. Um, this is weird, like, but you're not going to go for the easy joke of having Ralph Fiennes interact with Voldemort? Right? Like, come on, guys, come on! It's a yeah, well. Alas. But the Daleks were there, and that was fun. Hey, hey, copyright free, though. They were British <laughs> robots. Ask your nerd friends. Or Agent Smith. <laughs> Also, that was fucking brilliant because who the fuck even remembers that, like kid wise in the audience? <laughs> well, the Matrix has been done for so long. Just random evil businessmen, I guess. Not that, like, the Kraken would. Well, at least the Kraken's a giant monster, just three dudes and sunglasses. I still love the, the joke of having the gremlins constantly messing <laughs> up planes. <laughs> <laughs> I was so happy when the gremlins showed up and just started weirding out Joker. Uh, they sell uh, uh, gremlin figures in Lego Dimension Packs, and if they weren't like 20 bucks a pop, I'd want to buy a handful of them and just put them all over the different bat vehicles I have. <laughs> I, 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 I was so, it was so cool that they had Spike in there, with the, uh, Stripe in there with his mohawk. <laughs> it was amazing. I, I bought the making of the Lego Batman book to get a little bit better insight into how they made this thing. And it's fascinating to see how much detail they went into to be like, okay, we have to make this very Lego accurate. Partly because it made it easier when they were building, like, toy sets and stuff, but just as a design motto, like, they want to feel like Legos. So even stuff like Bane's Gate, when they originally designed him, like, oh, he steps five steps long, and that doesn't really work out great for Lego, so we're going to adapt it so his stride is either four or six blocks, because even numbers are better for Lego. Like, that sort of weird attention to detail. Or the Lego hands can only open so far, or otherwise they felt it'd be cheating. So their hands don't have that much mobility, whereas their arms kind of pop in and out of socket because they have to move them around. I ask you a question about one of the vehicles that appear in the film. Was the Scuttler terrifying to anybody else? Oh, uh, I yes. love the Scuttler. The Scuttler's I love amazing. it, but it's terrifying, right? Well, the scu- it's living. It's alive. Batman created a living, giant, breathing panther thing. Like, it's 
it has sentience. Creeped me out. It's so cool, and I want him to have that as a normal vehicle, but it's so scary. That's the thing I like, too, is the Lego Batman movie can jump into the more audacious vehicles of the Batman universe that the movies would have a hard time pulling off. Like, the most extreme we get in the movies are, it's the Batmobile, but now it's, like, a bulky, fast tank. And now it flies. Well, what's funny is that, like, they even have a joke where they have Robin go to various Bat vehicles and just... It gets more and more ridiculous as it goes along. There's the bat ski boat. There's the bat javelin. There's the bat, like, it just keeps going. The bat shuttle. Yeah, the bat shuttle. Which Batman must have, because he's constantly going to the Justice League hall. (laughs) Well, then he has that uh, moon bat cave. And the Jupiter. So Batman must have his own bat shuttle. Like, that's just a thing he must own. Well, what's funny is, like, yeah, he actually does have one of those in the comics. That's not even a joke. Like, that's actually... That's one of the weirdest things about the Grant Morrison run is, like, he flat out had Batman have a space shuttle. <laughs> you don't see that Batman talking. needs to fight purse snatchers in space. You yeah. don't see Scott Snyder talking about that. <laughs> I feel like this movie's kind of Grant Morrison's wet dream in some way. I'm not, I'm not unconvinced that he didn't have a hand in making it. <laughs> all of the things at once. It's all okay. And I want Condiment King in there, too. Condiment oh. King gets so much play for being Condiment King. And Old School Calendar Man is in there. Catman gets a moment. Orca yeah, gets we're... way more lines than Orca should. Orca is a large part of the film, randomly. Orca isn't even a large part of the comics. No. Orca's barely a thing. And, like, Magpie gets its own minifigure? Like, I didn't even think she was popular in the comics. Here's, here's how deep this movie went. It had a villain in it. That I had to look up. Ooh. I had to look up a villain in this. Which and one? Which one? March Harriet, which, here's uh, the thing, the movie cheated because it had a character. I remember this character vaguely from the Paul Dini Detective Comics run. It's a character called March Hare, but her real name is has Harriet in it, so they just combined the two. The uh, so movie I messed was... with me. Aha, <laughs> uh-huh, they were throwing you off, plus that it's a vague Aunt Harriet reference that way. Curveball, yeah, see, I when I saw that character, I just assumed it was some reference to the Batman TV series from the 60s I had forgotten about, because I would not put it past them to have an episode where the villains are essentially furries. Oh, yeah. And it's Aunt Harriet, like, having a sexual awakening. Uh, but they already put King Tut in the movie, so why not everything from the 60s? Oh, I became that terrible Lego again. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of the direction, visually... I think this is honestly a step up from the Lego movie. I think Chris McKay actually kind of has a better handle on how to animate. I can't believe how cinematic this movie was. Some of the, especially throughout the entire first act where they're in Batman movie mode. Yep. It's incredible looking. It's amazingly kinetic. Like those opening couple of minutes or uh, pretty much the big Batman fight where he takes out all of his rogues. Dear God, it's it's almost hard to follow because it's so fluid and so much is going on. Yeah. And, just, and it just all connects so brilliantly. And plus, like, they play around with the lighting so much to where one moment it looks like one of the Nolan movies, another moment it looks like the Schumacher movies, another moment it looks like the Burton movies. Like, you just never know what you're getting in a single scene. <laughs> one quick tangent. I was so pleased that when they were doing quick flashbacks to various 
phases of Batman's career, they used a different face for the Keaton Batman Lego. Yes. <laughs> they used the lips. They, they had they the lips. implemented the Keaton lips. And now I'm really mad there's not, like, a variant Batman figure with the Keaton lips. Uh, also, they must listen to us because it ends with Batman taking off his mask and sitting around without it. They they know, too. They have they the dream. He should have taken off the glove and had a tan claw hand. <laughs> yeah. So, so Curry, just in terms of box office pulp, because, you know, we've, we've talked our fair share of Batman over the years of doing this podcast. Too much, um, I could say. You know, too, far <laughs> too much. No. But, but how plausible do you think it is now, with all the merchandise that's been released for this film, that you can actually go out there and build a Trident Man? And why haven't you... Trident Man! I've been trying to get Cody to build a Trident Man to use as the image for this episode. <laughs> Um, I mean, I think you could get around that pretty easy. They make a, I just picked up a Y-Wing set that, it's fun, it uses uh, ice skates as part of the, like, engine pods. So I think if you can use an ice skate as an engine pod, you could probably find some random Lego piece to serve as a trident piece for a hand or something. I would not be amazed if they came out with a new Aquaman set for the Aquaman movie, which will probably, I'm assuming, have a trident. Actually, what am I talking about? I have a trident figure sitting next to me as I talk. Do <laughs> um, it, Triton. There, there's a... Uh, last year, they came out with a bunch of Scooby-Doo Lego sets, and one of them was a haunted lighthouse, which included some sort of phantom miner, for whatever reason, and a creature from the Black Lagoon-looking guy, who's actually in the Lego movie for about three seconds. Uh, in the Phantom Zone, he yells at Batman. Or, uh, Joker, sorry. Oh, yeah, that weird-ass character. Uh, yeah, I'm holding him in my hand right now, and he has a golden trident. He has to be a reference to something, right? Uh, I feel like it's a reference to something. I think that's Gamera. Maybe. I don't know. He has so much like... similar-looking creatures in the Phantom Zone that it's really hard to tell. Yeah. That's a that's a possibility, though. Because I, I vaguely recall reading that Gamera was in the movie. And at first I thought that was the Kraken, but it's like, no, that's very clearly the Kraken from Clash of the Titans. Yeah, because that I explains uh... something. Cause I was confused, because sometimes it's like... Why does the Kraken look different in this shot? I would argue they're just reusing one of their figures from an earlier set. I think they might have used the fish monster in a couple of things. Probably, but... Because they also have, uh, there was a now discontinued set that was Monster Fighters, whereas, you know, like Van Helsing-style guys going after Dracula and mummies and Frankensteins and sea monsters. And I think the design was made for that. They repurposed it for the Scooby-Doo set. They just kind of gave them like a... uh, a masked head that goes underneath his fish mask. And since that figure is available and obviously looks well in this, they could just sneak it into the Lego movie pretty easy. Listen, you're getting away from the topic, which is, will you make Trident Man go? Uh, let me see if I can pull a hand off and stick a Trident in there. The you problem it, is... You just need three more. The problem is the hands use very tiny... Ow, this is one come up. Uh, the hands use very tiny, tiny pieces. It's not like a full piece. You may have to do some McJiggering, but... I don't honestly think it would work. Like, I could make a character that's holding several tridents. That's not I'm the not, same. And I, I don't know how it would work with legs. Listen, you're gonna have to do some customization here. It's not gonna be easy. Okay, so hear me out on this idea. What if I took a Lego minifigure... And I pulled off his legs and arms, maybe just his hands and his legs, uh, and I built him a Trident Man mech that he sits in and operates with his nubs. I would like to see that. 
Okay. I'm I'm curious as well. That actually, yeah, do that, please. I'll I'll see what I can do. I've got a bag of random parts because when you buy a Lego set, they're always like, and here's one random uh, peg. So I have a bag of things that don't really color match, and they're rather useless by themselves. So I don't know if they can be combined to anything cool. But you never know. That's the magic of Lego. <laughs> that's the magic of Lego. That's what this. That's what the Lego Batman movie sums up: the magic of Lego. Magic of Batman. That. And togetherness. And, and togetherness and the Batman's bullshit. And not having a shitty father, or if he is a shitty father, guilting him into not being a shitty father. And make out with the Joker. Yeah. And Barbara Gordon is the single greatest character in fiction. I really enjoy the Lego Batman costume they made for Batgirl. Also, they never really address the Batgirl-Batboy thing. Like, he throws that comment out, and I just have no time to address it more than that. But it is an oddly weird thing to do. You're Batgirl. But I'm not, like, ten. You're Batgirl. It was weird that they addressed it in a joke and then never went back to it. But I, I guess that's as far as they can go. It's like they're not going to rename the character. Well, she's now Batwoman. This is funny. It is adult Barbara in this version. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we also got a Bloodhaven reference. Bloodhaven. Also, this is what I love about how much thought was put into creating this version of the Batman universe. They put thought into changing the gender of Chief O'Hara. Which you would never in a million years ever think to do. And this movie just did it. This movie just went for it. And it was so weird like when that character rushed up because I thought it was Montoya. Like you would, you would right, expect, yeah, that's what I thought. You, you would expect that to be Montoya. I was like, Chief O'Hara? Really? And she's not even, like, that works. Just It's just a complete new reinvention from the ground up that's just cool by itself. Or I kind of want her to show up like, in the comics. Same. <laughs> or random tweaks, like, all of a sudden, uh, Barbara and Gordon are just, like, they're not white anymore. Which has Dino. zero bearing on anything, so it's perfectly fine. Yeah. It's just, oh, that's an interesting idea. And it's just, it's, like... There was no reason to do that. Like, it would have been lazier and faster just to, you know, use the normal shit. But no, they actually put thought and change shit for interesting reasons. Well, it's one of those things where it has zero bearing on the character, what race they are, really. So you can do whatever you want. So why not? And also just even down to Robin's design where his glasses evoke the Carrie Kelly look, but he also is just a brown, bespeckled, like, freckled kid and looks very appropriate for that version of Robin, and is still as much of Robin as you would ever get, because you have that little visual design tweak where, okay, you're referencing The Dark Knight Returns. That works enough to make this version of Dick just an all-encompassing version of Robin. Hmm. And he's, like, slightly mentally ill as well. <laughs> Which is a step up point the get Kelly. I mean, I love Michael Sarah as, as a voice actor, so I'm cool with the version we got. But it would have been nice to have Kelly basically introduced into the canon, like the movie canon. I feel like that would have worked in this version, but... The pants like jokes would have been way more awkward. A hundred different things would have worked in this movie. Like, they could have done so many different things, and they could still do so many different things. If they made a movie that was a sequel to this, but also not connected to this in any way, it would still work. It would still be just as palatable as long as they kept to making it a good story, then they could do anything with the character and the property. It's going to be so confusing when they get to the sequel, and it's just a scene-for-scene remake in Lego of The Mask of the Phantasm. (laughs) Just as dramatic. It's just as dramatic. This Lego Batman finding a locket in the Batcave wall. Fucking Zach Galifianakis Joker just laughing as he dies and explosions happen around him. (laughs) 
<laughs> Will Arnett puts on the cowl and <laughs> Ray Fiennes is shocked. <laughs> I'd actually really like to see Alfred. I would love to see that scene remade actually for the Lego Batman movie, just scene for scene. God, Ray Fiennes was the perfect Alfred. He was so delightful as Alfred. The pathos he brings to Alfred. Like I just, I just love the little scene of him like. Batman tells him off and says, "It's like, you, what do you know about having a real, like, surrogate son? And he just immediately picks up his moxie and his charm and just starts dusting and lets Dick into the Batcave as a giant middle finger. <laughs> I do like that we have an Alfred that's not just there as, like, a handy sidekick, but is going through his own struggles. Like, this is essentially his son. Oh, yeah. He's, he's a troubled parent. He's a single father who's... Dealing with this really out-of-control kid. Right. If you raised Batman, wouldn't you be like, oh, man, I fucked something up. This guy literally puts on a mask and beats up criminals. The only way to satiate him is tuxedo parties. Yes. That's one thing. Batman movie really allows you to notice how insane Batman is. Like, Batman's been part of my life for so long, I just kind of give him a pass. But when it's presented in Lego form, you can stop and think, like, you know, it is insane that this guy makes so many vehicles with a bat theme. He picked Batman because he thought bats were scary, and he wants to scare criminals, so he just assumes they all have the same phobia as him. Like, think if I saw a... children, Think of how many children he could be feeding with the money he used for spins <laughs> on boats and planes and cars and motorcycles and exactly. chairs. The scupper is... has workable ears for no reason, just so it looks more bat-like. <laughs> Batman is literally the most dumb, useless superhero ever when you really think about it. He's completely insane. He's so wasteful and crazy. And and just completely endangers children to the point of death. That's left what I'm and right. About. And kids keep get, keeps getting away with it. Barbara's incredibly correct. Like Batman for all his years of service has made crime go down to exactly like zero percent. He's probably made it worse just because he, he invites people worse. like poison ivy in, and then instead of actually treating them in a good facility, they just go to a glorified prison in Arkham. I did like the uh, like the implication that this Batman is so damaged he doesn't even necessarily capture his criminals. I did like that. Like he just literally never captures anybody. Yeah, he just beats him up and lets him go. It makes more sense than oh, they got put into a facility which they have immediately found a way to break out of or are released from every single time. Yeah, there should be more villains that Batman fights once, and then, like, he just occasionally sees them in prison because they never get out for the rest of their lives. I do like the subtle thing that when Barbara became commissioner, she got the bat signal button and a key to Arkham. (laughs) Both of which she thought was completely useless. Well, the bat signal gets taken out by eggs, so one of them is useless. Very true. Also, dear God, uh, I really hope we get a Lego set with uh, Egghead. It was so surreal to see fucking Lego Egghead. At the end of the movie, he has his own egg mech. So I really hope that's a future set where you can get egg, Egghead in, a, in, a, in, a, in your own egg mech. And then you can take the figure apart and make him into Vincent Price for a Halloween set. Are they, I hope they release uh, lights that are all the different bat signals for all the villains and shit. Probably not. There's they should. A, that'd be neat. There's a blister pack out right now that has the bat signal. And there was, like, a giveaway poly bag that had the bat signal, but that's probably as far as they're going to go. Useless. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, I might pick it up. I don't know. Useless. In some of the sets coming up this summer, they have, like, the ultimate Batmobile, which is the one he uses at the end of the film that splits into several vehicles. So it's the Batmobile plus a bat bike for Robin plus, like, a bat plane for Batgirl. And I think there's something else for Alfred to fly around in. Tea. Just a teacup. It all connects together, but it's a black teacup. 
He just jumps on one of his trays and surfs it like Static Shuck. Now let me ask you a question. Where in the Lego movie continuity does this fit in? Because does... Uh, it's three years after the Lego movie. It's three years. So that means that this plot exists because Will Ferrell is playing with his son and half of this plot is from the mind of Will Ferrell. Not necessarily Will Ferrell. I was trying to piece this together because when they're in the Phantom Zone, Phyllis mentions her boss is a her. Yeah, I was curious about that line. And in the Lego movie, it's revealed that the young kid has a younger sister who's playing with Duplo uh, Lego sets. Oh, yeah. So if this is three years later, she could be old enough now where she's now playing with Batman figures. And this is her big area she's playing with. Oh. Although it's big enough where it's probably something her dad set up in the basement. And it's just its own Gotham City is just part of that giant city thing he had set up in the basement. Well, Gotham is definitely on two tables because that's right. how it kind of comes apart. Right, and it smells like socks underneath, so it's got to be by the laundry. Yeah. What if it's just Ellie Kemper? <laughs> also possible. Like the actress. Not even like she's playing a character. It's just, she just does this. This We're going to get like a tie-in during an episode of Kimmy Schmidt. Did I don't see think her they, the they never showed Will Ferrell's wife in the Lego ba- or the, the Lego movie. So it could be <laughs> It could be her. They're married, and that's her section of the Lego city. She has Gotham. He has regular city and medieval times. I say it's clearly bullshit, though, that Batman had a girlfriend three years earlier. What, Batman's not allowed to have girlfriends? He picks them up in the movies, like, every single time and just is aloof with them and eventually breaks up. True, 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 but he wrote songs for Wild Style. Yeah, you would think there would be at least, like, a trophy, like, image or something in the Batcave to commemorate that. The one time. Or, or, like, a dart. Like Batman a dark does hang on to Emmett's, Like, a dartboard with Emmett's face. It didn't seem that against Emmett. This version of Batman seemed like he was happy about the breakup in a way because it gave him something to be sad about. He kind of hated Emmett. Kind of, yeah, but not... Like, they teamed up in the end. True, true. This, kinda, this Batman essentially hates everyone. Can I say I really love how we can piece together continuity and can of the Lego movie universe? It all makes perfect sense. It's kind of, like, it's kind of awesome. It's the Five minutes flawed. before we recorded this episode, I was in front of a giant marker board with, like, red <laughs> string... Crossing, and I was just pointing circles. at circles. Like, it's all circles. <laughs> you jump in front of a subway train. <laughs> I finally figured out a way to get out of the Legos. The no, I want to get in. I want to get in. The great yellow rectangle. Uh, and then we battle the yellow king in a cave. Would the yellow king just be like an old school Lego where they still made flesh colored ones pure yellow? Yes. I'm cool with that. Have you guys ever seen the video of someone who made a realistic costume of a Lego figure? It's terrifying. I don't It's like terrifying. Audience, go look this up immediately so you can't sleep. I want you to experience the horror of this thing. Like, just imagine penguin flippers for hands and huh. dead black doll eyes over this big, square, rowdy pumpkin flesh head. What Cody looks like. Very close. Normally I have a beard. Normal. Normal. Well, you, are, you are masking as a human, so... I have many emotions... Wow, just end it there, huh? I have that's many what, emotions. The Cody All Star. That's that's what people have. <laughs> as far as I know, I I don't know anymore. Important thing is, I have the U wing. I do have the U wing. Thank God, we finally got a sequel to that. And the Y wing. I haven't picked up the A wing yet, but that's because it's way overpriced. Lego, if you're listening to this, send me free shit. I, I know we'll never get corporate sponsorship in any way, especially not from a kid's company that has an image to protect. But man, wouldn't that be the best if we were <laughs> sponsored by Lego and we had to contractually open each episode with the Lego company presents <laughs> Box, Box Office, office pulp. pulp. 
We get our own corresponding Lego line. It's just horrifying. Oh, that'd be amazing. We'd be like the Brickheads line. Oh, we can do a video ad where it's box office pulp guy trying to attach different parts to his own body, and it's terrible and Cronenberg-esque. Box office pulp guy is slowly assembling a noose out of brown bricks. <laughs> Hello, Lego, my old friend. <laughs> I've come to build with you again. Box what we're saying is... guy doesn't believe in imagination. It was the sound of building. <laughs> what we're saying is, box office pulp audience, is that the Lego Batman movie is delightful, and you should see it immediately. I agree. Because it did good business, but not like, oh god, it took all the money in North America business. And I want there to be many, many sequels to this. So, just to be safe, you better go see it three more times. Eight more. Eight more times. Mike's right. Eight more times. Twelve more. Twelve more times. Just buy 30 Blu-rays. Do and buy the Lego sets. Like, go crazy. Go get yourself a Scuttler. You deserve it. You've had a hard week. Yeah, you deserve that Scuttler. Let it crawl all over you. It comes with Poison Ivy and Joker. Oh, also, let it be your own personal lobster thermidor. Ooh, delightful. Uh, if you get the Lego Batcave break-in, it actually comes with Batman Return-style penguins. <laughs> they have little accessory packs on their back with buzz saws. Well, Mike can never own that now because it'll drive him insane. That that joke was that that was in there just for us, right? I, I, I feel so. like yeah. Penguin even had like the penguin, the yellow penguin or uh, duck boat. <laughs> I cannot believe he had the duck. You can get the duck if you get the break-in set. I, I couldn't believe that Batman and Joker have a final confrontation in the House of Mirrors. <laughs> Honestly, the third act of that was better than the Killing Joke animated movie. Okay, so before we go, I do want to get through this. From the Lego movie, the Lego Batman movie back one year, there were, what, four Batman movies? Let's count them out. There was The Killing Joke, animated version. There was Suicide Squad. Well, are we they, just talking theatrical? Theatrical, like it was actually in a theater. Well, there Killing was... Killing Joke still count, though. Kill, Killing Joke was in theaters, but also Batman Return of the Kid Crusaders was... Yep, yep, I was getting to that one. How long ago did Batman vs. Superman come out? March uh, last year. Yeah. So yeah, that falls into it. And I don't think it got theatrical play at all, but there was also Justice League Dark, which had Batman in it for some reason. Well, there have been several. I mean, if you count... Yeah, the they make a lot of anime movies. Yeah. yeah, and they all have Batman explicitly. Yeah. It's amazing to think with the sheer number of Batman vehicles out there right now, I don't think any of them compare to this in any way. Except I do enjoy uh, Return of the Cape Crusaders, but that's not on the same level. And Killing Joke is a mixed bag. I've heard absolutely horrible things from most people. <laughs> if you ignore the 30-minute 30 30 prologue and get right to the Killing Joke adaption, it's better, but it's super rushed. Yeah. Uh, it's very unfortunately rushed. I, like, I would like to play it uh, slow down slightly. <laughs> <laughs> Same movie, just at a slightly slower speed. Yeah, because I just it a so lot. Batman of... talks a little slower and punches take just a little longer. Exactly, like it's it's fine. It's just it's truncated because they spent thirty minutes on a bullshit prologue that's offensive and horrible. <laughs> and let us never speak of it again. I don't want to end on a note about how bad the Killing Joke adaptation turned out. Let's say something positive about the Lego Batman movie. Box office pulp recommends the Lego Batman movie. Very true. And if you enjoyed this show, uh, we happen to have more stuff up. You can check us out at our blog spot. We're also on Facebook and Twitter, which is surprisingly fun. 
although I don't quite really grasp it that well. But you can find us. Every episode you say you still haven't grasped Twitter. There's a lot of stuff going on that I don't understand. A lot of people that randomly like our show and retweets for stuff that happened a while back, and it's chaotic but fun. <laughs> chaos! Chaos theory! Chaos! I'm you going to use hashtags. On your hand. <laughs> you are using hashtags now. I'm doing better. Yay! Finally, Yay. people can actually see them. Yeah, but they're still not liking them. My wit goes unappreciated. One thing at a time. <sighs> Mike, Mike and I also do Pulp Nightmare, which you can follow at pulpnightmare.blogspot.com. And we also have Pulp Kinnison as our Twitter. And believe we have the Pulp Podcast Network as the Facebook page. Yes, uh, pulppodcastnetwork.wordpress.com, and you can also find that on Facebook. You can find all the shows on Facebook, Box Office Pulps on Facebook, as well as Twitter. Our comic book show, Graphic Novelism, is on Twitter, at Graphic Novelism, and on Facebook, facebook.com slash graphic novelism, and graphicnovelism.com. Which features me and Mike and James, who's usually a part of the podcast. Cody's not invited. Nope. You will be when we talk about Batman Year 100. Uh, Yeah. Uh, another thing. If you haven't read Batman Year 100, I also <laughs> wholeheartedly recommend that to everyone who is still listening to the show right now. I suppose. Why did you bring it up? I'm sorry. I, I guess technically it's on topic, so I can't even get mad. Uh, also, if you like Box Office Pulp, remember to subscribe and rate us on iTunes or Stitcher or both, whatever your preference is. But I do want to take a moment to not pimp ourselves, but please do, or else we'll die, because we need love to survive. We're very lonely people. Oh, yes. Cody ate cookie dough in a movie theater. Okay, that was actually fantastic. That was the best Valentine's Day I have had in years. Um, if you ever, audience, shut up, Mike. If you ever have a chance, audience, this will change your life. Go see John Wick 2 or similar action fair in no, a packed movie just theater. Just John Wick 2. Just John Wick 2, if it's still playing years from now when you listen to this. Go see John Wick 2 in a packed theater, sneak in a bunch of cookie dough in a bag, and just sit and gorge yourself. It's fucking awesome. And off that stupid podcast note, we were recently on the front page of The Inquisitor. Dreams come true. We have an article about box office pulp, particularly about our bop in a movie commentary. Cross-promotion. Self-promotion. Self-promotion. It's actual promotion. Ting. Ting. Four Jaws. And I want to give a uh, shout-out to the writer of that article, Carter Lee, who can be found at thecarterlee.com, I believe, as a big thank you for liking our stupid, stupid show enough to give us that to at least, you know, we feel appreciated that we're actually in The Inquisitor. It feels like all the stupid shit we do is actually worth it. We really should have opened with that. Yeah, but then people are like, oh, they're being emotional. Let's turn it off. Well, we don't have uh, so, Yes, we have emotions. I was not going to say we don't have emotions. That'd be a robot uh-huh. thing to say. <laughs> Damn it! Uh-huh. And I just break my table in half my metal fist. Oh, I thought you would just drown out into, like, TV snow. Oh, it's <laughs> fade off. It's like Tron. You just got hit with an identity disc and you just... <laughs> I turn into a billion tiny bit blocks and just disappear into the void. By Rinsler, who turns out to be James. That's why he's not here. Yep. That's the Tron Legacy reference for all you at home. That's what happens when we try and be nice to people who are nice to us. We get distracted by Tron references. It, it, it happens a lot. But if you, if anybody listening would like to read that article that's about us, which I guess I don't know why you would read it if you've already listening to this podcast. And like, we, I already like you. But still, go see somebody else, an article written by someone else who likes us, which is cool. 
It's I think I still have it pinned on the uh, Facebook page for Box Office Pulp. And if the link to that doesn't work, it's because he's listened to this and rescinded it, so just <laughs> link Cody. It's fair enough. Fuck you. But uh, if you check out Carter Lee on Facebook, you can also get access to all of his different articles that he writes for the Inquisitor, and I would highly recommend that. Oh, yeah, they're super cool. Tons of movie recommendations, a lot of horror movie stuff, which you know Box Office Pulp loves. He'll let you know what's going on with Netflix. Exactly. Very handy. All kinds of cool stuff, so shout out to him for doing that for us. That was super cool. Do everything Mike just said. Check Carter Lee out. Check us out more. If you're listening to us right now, good job. If you're still listening to us, you have a problem and you need help, but thank you. We appreciate it. Now, everyone, get the hell out of here. That's a wrap. Goodbye! And like that, he's gone. Guys, check this out. There's an escape hatch on top of the Batmobile when you twist the back knob. Pops right off. But it's like an ejector seat. Why is it on the back of the Batmobile? Uh, there's a knob on the back, so it kind of just looks like a blue exhaust button. But who's supposed to get out? Like, doesn't he put his villains at back? Oh, no, no. There? So there's, there's a knob in the back, but you twist the knob, like so. Uh, I lost the lid. Uh, and it pops the lid off of the top of the Batmobile where Batman and Robin are sitting. Oh, so just in case he wants to throw Robin out. Yeah, there's a rod that goes through and pops the lid off. Well, at least we know how this version of Death in the Family happens. <laughs> Never install those goddamn seatbelts. Right? Is this, is this like one of the few Batmans in the last ten years that has not had a floating Robin costume in a tube? As far as we know, we didn't see the entire Batcave. I... <laughs> He just randomly has other Robins he forgot about. <laughs> I believe... No, it's just it's just rope. I mean, technically, the other Batman movies exist in these in this movie, so he must have had these Robins at some point, and they were murdered. Chris O'Donnell. Yeah, because there was Batman Forever. That's part of this. I mean, they even show... I don't know if they show Robin from the earlier versions, but they do go through, like, all the past... They don't. They don't show... Because... Um, they don't even show, like, with Batman and Robin, they just show the nipples, and then mm. with the, like, with the serials and the 60s series and the animated series, they just show him. Do you think in the Bat Lego Batman universe, all the stuff that we've seen exists, but in an edited form where there is no Robin or Batgirl? Probably. The thing that I'm currently stuck on, which just occurred to me, which is if he was serial Batman, technically Lego Batman is terribly racist. This probably didn't focus on it very much. Do you want that, folks at home? you on that what okay here's a here's a question for the resident lego expert what country does lego originate from is that just an american-based thing or oh no 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 lego is totally danish uh they started off actually not even making plastic toys but they were like wooden blocks because that's what the people believe toys should be back in like the <laughs> early 1900s uh and they started making things out of plastic bricks because it could be very precise with them in a time where everyone thought that was stupid but because Lego was designed with a lot of quality in mind, in like the 50s, people started buying them more than other toys, and they built up their business from there. Well, that opens the floor up for him to be terribly racist against the Japanese, because he doesn't owe them anything. They didn't create him, so he's just horribly offensive towards them. I'm really turned around this movie suddenly. <laughs> That's why we talk about this after everything. the show's done. Oh, I'm still recording. As am I. Oh, God, no. So yes, yeah, so am I. Uh, here's a fun fact. In February 2015, Lego replaced Ferrari as the world's most powerful brand. Lego owns you. 
And that's why you drive that Lego car now. I would totally do that. Although I had a conversation about it, and we realized it's a terrible plan. It's going to be really uncomfortable. Of course you've had a conversation about it. You've never tried to talk to your friends into building a gigantic Lego vehicle that you could drive through? No. Town. No, I haven't. Oh, well, you're missing out. You live a boring life. Well, technically speaking, like, wouldn't the exhaust and all that, like, melt the plastic? There's a very good chance. All right, uh, so it would, that was it the would, birth of an idea and the death of it all in one... Yeah, it would second. mostly be, like, maybe, like, a pedal vehicle that goes downhill. <laughs> wow. <laughs> downhill. Like the radio flyer, you fly off to your <laughs> death at the end? That sounds like the best vehicle LEGO could design. If LEGO sold a death flyer, I'd be like, yes. One, please. A lifetime supply. Can you imagine if LEGO released a fucking radio flyer set? No one would see that coming. LEGO does a lot of weird sets. Like, their their city design also has a bunch of stuff like volcanoes and stuff. What a hellish landscape LEGO Universe exists on. There's got to be just a plain old LEGO Universe. You know, if uh, all the stuff we saw in the LEGO movie is true, then they have construction sites. They've got Batman universes, cowboy worlds. Communism. Communism. All blocks are shared. That, that hellscape that Unikitty lives in? Yeah. Oof. I really hope Unikitty would show up. Yeah, I don't think they were trying too hard to connect this back to the Lego movie. Not I mean, there's a couple references, but very small ones. Uh, they mentioned the... Master Builder stuff, of course. Master Builder stuff. They mentioned the Void, when they actually repeat a clip from the Lego movie where it's the battery falling into the Void behind Emmett. Oh, yeah. But that's more or less it. Which I'm, I prefer. I mean, they had so many Batman references to sneak in, I'm sure the concern was not on focusing on the other movie. Also, I'm so mad that they showed us a Batman Beyond minifigure, but it doesn't exist. It's not fair. See, I don't like it when Lego movies come out, because Cody goes fucking insane. There is even, like, a Lego version of Blight. Or is that supposed to be Dr. Phosphorus? It was Dr. Phosphorus, but I was, I lost my shit at for, oh my god, Blight, oh. Oh, that's disappointing. Still really cool. I would buy that in a heartbeat if it was out. That's what I. Or Condiment King? No. This is Box Office Pulp Guy, and this has been a Pulp Podcast production. Now please, 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 put a gun in my mouth and pull the trigger and say goodnight. And now, on with the show. Mr. Johnson, have you heard about those people who don't know about our podcast? Yes, sir. I've heard of them. Do you think anyone who doesn't know about our Southern-themed podcast should go to jail? No, sir. Do you think anyone who has heard about it but hasn't listened to our podcast should go to jail? No, sir, no. Do you think anyone who refuses to listen to our Southern-themed podcast should go to jail? No, sir, not really, no. Then what should happen? What would be a fair sentence? Do they deserve to die, Mr. Johnson? Do they deserve to die? Yes, they deserve to die, and I hope they burn in hell! Matt Johnson was found innocent of all charges, and resumed hosting his monthly podcast, Blow the Bible Vote. There are a lot of issues that plague the <laughs> Greetings and salutations, kiddos. It's me, your old goblin in crime, Roderick Kingsley, here with a special message for you, my adoring public. 
You may have noticed lately in my many, many appearances that I've had a bit of a spring in my pointy-booted step. No, boys and girls, the secret to my success is no wonder drug or mere miracle diet, but an elixir of the spirit. And, like a Halloween-themed Jehovah's Witness, I'm here to spread the good news like a bombardment of pumpkin bombs. The good news of graphic novelism. But, Uncle Hobgoblin, you ask? What is a graphic novelism? Don't ignore me, you little shit! But yes, the tenets of graphic novelism are quite simple. A love for the comic book form in all of its forms. A rejection of the complacency that keeps it from reaching further heights. And, most importantly, a refusal to fall into the dark pool of negativity that has strangled the life out of this culture for too long. Since becoming a devout graphic novelist, I've rebuilt my goblin game from the ground up, soaring high above my fears and insecurities, as though they were the skyline of New York City. And all you have to do to walk this path is look deep within yourself and send your credit card number care of Ronnie the OG Hobby at gobmail.com. Or if you want to be a total Norman about it, just listen to the Graphic Novelism Podcast, where Alex Cook, James Lewis, and Mike Na- Na- Napier preach their love for the medium and warn against those that may do it harm. Remember, ladies and gents, if you want to be the hobgoblin of whatever it is that you do, Listen to Graphic Novelism. Subscribe to it on iTunes and The Stitcher. Leave a rating and a comment. Visit graphicnovelism.com And for God's sake, kill Spider-Man! Another episode. That was just a little taste of Graphic Novelism. <laughs> <laughs> ah, hello there. I didn't hear you come in. My name is Cody Elft, but you've come to hear about the next dynamic podcast from the Pulp Podcast Network. I haven't personally listened to this new podcast, but as its producer, I am contractually obligated to inform you about how gosh darn fantastic it is. And boy is it. In life, the great hero Hercules faced 12 labors. He fought the Nemean Lion, the Lernian Hydra, the Cerberus, the Hellhound of Hades. He stole the girdle from Hippolyta, queen of the Amazons. He even traded barbs with an animated James Woods, and his sucker punched the mighty Thor in the face. But now, he faces a greater challenge than all of those tests combined into one giant ball of challenge. Now, Herc must face off against his most challenging foe in Pulp Podcast Network's thrilling new show. Hercules versus the podcast. Hercules possessed a strength the world had never seen. Oh, Hercules, 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 Hercules. Hercules, deliver us from this curse. Hercules, Hercules, strongest man alive. No man is superior to Hercules.